Welcome. You have entered the realm of 1111 Talk Radio. Your host is Simron. It's time to discover your own language with the universe. Empower yourself, broaden your mind, open your heart, and discover who you are. Now, here's your host, Simron. Welcome. We are well underway into September 2016, and yesterday, 9-11 was a 15-year anniversary reminder of an, an experience that has taken place in our world that has rocked us for many, many years. That, along with many other experiences that continually take place, are not just random happenings, and we have to become more conscious to the fact that we all participate in some of these things taking place. How so? Perhaps it is within our own personal shadow. Our personal shadow is definitely a part of the collective shadow. And in denial of our personal shadow, we help to create, co-create, the many different experiences that take place on the planet. In delving into our personal shadows and really working with them, not only will we be able to experience more genuine self-acceptance, diffuse what we perceive as the negative emotions that erupt unexpectedly, free ourselves from guilt and shame, with respect to our so-called negative feelings and recognize the projections that color our opinion that also will heal our relationships and access unused, untapped storehouses of creative energy while supporting the collective shadow in healing. My guest today is Carolyn Baker, and she is the author of many books, including Love in the Age of the Ecological Apocalypse. We Need to Thrive and Extinction Dialogue her previous books include Collapsing Consciously, Transformative Truths for Turbulent Times, Navigating the Coming Chaos, and The Spiritual Path of Industrial Civilization's Collapse. She lives and writes in Boulder, Colorado, and manages her website, carolynbaker.net. Today we are talking about her book, Dark Gold, The Human Shadow and the Global Crisis, and it is not at a better time that we do so. We each can make a difference on this planet, both by who we are in our light and who we're willing to be in the embrace of our shadow. Welcome to 1111 Talk Radio, Carolyn. It's great to have you back. Well, it's wonderful to be here. I've been looking forward to this all week. <laughs> <laughs> well, we definitely, I think, understand each other in terms of the depth of, of work that we're willing to do within and also in sharing with others the necessity of looking at some of these places that so often um, can be places that an individual wants to turn away from, from or negate that they even own. I want to start by talking about the, the, the view of, the polarized view of light and dark, of love and adversity, of what exists right now and how necessary it is to bridge that gap that is between those two and what that really means for us. Can you start there? Sure. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'd be happy to. Um, yeah, we live in a very polarized world, particularly in Western culture. And uh, part of our work in spiritual practice, I think an enormous aspect of our work, is to become non-dual and to bring together and embrace these opposites. And that's really hard work. It's, I think, a lifetime task. Um, but unless we are bringing these two things together, and, and in fact all opposites, we're only seeing part of the picture. 
Um, now, we love, particularly in this culture, to believe that we're all just living in the light or we're all good people just trying to do our best and live in the light. And, you know, we, we have a tremendous aversion in this culture to talking about darkness, to talking about shadow, and yet um, the shadow is bouncing out all over the place. And, you know, I, I liked your opening remarks where you talked about 9-11 as a manifestation of something inside of ourselves that we are creating in our collective unconscious. Uh, so our work is to bring together these opposites, to bring together light and dark, to discover that light becomes more light when we're willing to work with the darkness. And in fact, if we only focus on the light, the darkness will erupt because it begs to be dealt with. And so our work is to integrate these in, in our souls and in our culture um, as, as individuals and as a community. And I'd like to go right there, Carolyn, because so many people may have, in hearing those opening remarks, and even in hearing you right now, say, you know, I I would never have created 9-11. I didn't have anything to do with that. I, I would never be involved in such evil or darkness or killing. And that's the very place that we need to go, because we do have to understand that we each not only have the capacity and capability of every horrific act that's ever been created in time on this planet, but that our denial of such is part of what creates those things. Talk about, from your perspective and also your work with Andrew Harvey, kind of how you feel about situations such as 9-11 that take place. What is the piece that we need to look at when we look at something like that rather than blaming it into someone else? Sure. Well, first of all... um you're right. Nine eleven, that sort of uh, that sort of incident, and we have so so many horrific incidents going on around the world right now with climate, with war, um, with politics, with whatever. Um, you know, we don't consciously create those things. No one, no one in their right mind would consciously create these things. The problem is that the shadow is a part of us that is unconscious. And how it, how it develops is that as we grow and mature as children and into adolescence and adulthood, um, you know, we have this ego that we're all born with. And ego is a wonderful thing because it helps us manage our lives and survive, and we absolutely need one. And the ego's job is also to protect our image. And so as we grow and mature in life, things that do not match with our image or our perception of ourselves, we unconsciously send into the shadow. Now, those things don't just go there and lie dormant. They go there and they grow and they grow. And the more they are not attended to, the bigger and more powerful and more deadly they become. And so this is the reason for looking at the shadow, doing shadow work and integrating it in with the light side of ourselves. Um, you know, and, and one of the reasons I wrote this book, Dark Gold, and gave it that title is because if we're willing to do this work, we're going to experience spiritual and emotional gold beyond our wildest dreams. Uh, now, Andrew Harvey, uh, who's my dear friend and yours, uh, talks about the personal and collective shadows. And, and I'd like to share with you what he says about, first of all, our collective shadows. He, he talks about five aspects of the collective shadow. 
and they all start with the letter D. First of all is disbelief, not being able to believe that something is so enormous and horrific as the global crisis with all of its dreadful features, not, be, not, not being able to believe that it's happening. Secondly, denial. When the shadow of disbelief is uncovered and, and we have to really look at, well, yeah, this is happening, then our denial emerges, our terror of what's happening and our determination to prevent the inevitable consequences of the crisis. Uh, when that is dealt with, then we have to face our dread because beneath this disbelief and denial is the terrifying dread of the heartbreak and the suffering toward which we're moving as a species on this planet. Um, and then under that is disillusion. When our, belief, our disbelief, denial, and dread are penetrated, then we invariably encounter disillusion with ourselves and probably a lot of anger. Um, and, and, and this anger sometimes terrifies us because we're, we're going, wow, you know, how, how could I have let this happen? How could we as humans have created this? And then finally, Andrew just gets right down to the bottom line, which for many people is often a death wish, a lying uh, death wish that is, that is down under all the disbelief, denial, dread, and disillusion, a desire not to be here at all, in an era that demands so much of us. And as I talk with people, so many people say, you know, it's really hard to be alive right now. I, I feel so many demands, not just in my work or responsibilities, but it's just hard to be alive and breathe on the planet right now because I think people can feel this collective shadow more and more engulfing us. And certainly we're seeing this in, in the political arena right now in our, in our own country and in other countries around the world. So that's the collective shadow. And then we can talk more about the personal shadow if you want to go into that now or you want to go into that at some other point. I'd like to, to back up a little bit and talk um, about basically the last one, the death wish, because the greatest fear that we all have, probably the deepest, deepest, darkest fear that we each have actually is of death. And that is the thing that we run from. It's the thing that our ego runs from, that even our shadow, in a sense, is trying to escape. And yet here, there's a death wish, so there's the opposite. And that's so much of what the shadow represents. It represents the opposite of what we're willing to to recognize. You write in the book, uh, and I forget who says it, but it is really about bringing the unconscious to conscious that yeah. we are trying to do. And only can we do that if we're willing to go beyond these places of disbelief, denial, dread, disillusion, and even the death wish. What What is it about ultimately the fear of death, you think, that keeps us actually plummeting towards that very thing? Well, that's a really good question, and I was going to address, uh, the, address the death wish in more de- depth anyway. Um, we are a death-phobic culture, and you know, unlike many indigenous cultures and eastern cultures, we don't see death as a part of life. Um, it's something that we put into the shadows and push away. And when we do have a death experience, you know, we, we, for example, a loved one dies, we go to a funeral. Everyone there is very well behaved and quiet. And, you know, we try to 
prettify death and make it all cosmetically nice, and then, you know, we don't allow much attention to death afterwards, you know. For example, in corporations and different different jobs, people are allowed bereavement leave, which maybe is four or five days, and then you're supposed to get over it and come back as if nothing nothing happened. So we're very death-phobic. And what Eastern religions, particularly Buddhism, has shown us is that the more we can pay attention to death, and what that comes down to is impermanence, the more vital our lives can become, the more passionate and alive we can actually become if we pay attention to this impermanence. So, you know, when I do workshops or sometimes when I do life coaching, I help people pay attention to their own impermanence. And, you know, I do an exercise with them that's based on Rumi's notion of die before you die. Because mm-hmm. if you can surrender to the death, um, then, uh, you know, it takes away a certain amount of fear and then you are much more freed up to live life more passionately. So I think one of the reasons we live in what I call a flatline culture that is so humdrum and devoid of passion is that we're so busy pressing down the shadow and pressing down the darkness and the death. And when we surrender to death, what we're actually doing is surrendering to aliveness, to our divinity to our greater expansiveness or new birth, yes? Yes, yes, yes. And see, I believe, and I may have talked about this before, but it bears repeating, that what we are experiencing right now as a collective is a planetary rite of passage. And a rite of passage, even though we romanticize it a lot with, you know, children going out into the wilderness and doing the initiatory rites with the elders, um, it's, it's a death experience. It's a dying of that child to the ego and a rebirth to a new person. And that is exactly what is happening right now in this global crisis having to do with climate change and war and economic collapse and all of these negative factors that are, are pressing in on us. We're going through a planetary rite of passage, and our work is to wise up, learn how to do this, and surrender to that process. And in Dark Gold, I don't just give a lot of information and ideas. At the end of each chapter are specific practices and exercises and tools that people can use to work with the shadow and experience the dark gold. Now, in in spirituality and in a lot of self-help, it's all about cultivating love and wholeness and connection and relatedness, and we tend to want to project that outside, but we are by way of our nature, beings of projection anyway. We're either going to project the dark or we're going to project the light. And in wanting to put all that love and that wholeness on the outside, is that very projection the thing that we are really needing to project inwardly to the places of darkness that lay within? Well, I think that um, we need to understand what projection is. Um, Projection is a process, and Carl Jung is the psychologist in history that has given us the most insight on that process. It's a natural process that that the shadow does of uh, instead of 
you know, it's kind of its, its own camouflage system that the shadow has, uh, a technology of protecting itself by projecting whatever its contents are out into the world on other people, on other groups, on other countries, um, and and refusing to look at its own darkness. And I'm not exactly sure what you're asking about the light. Maybe maybe you could specify that a little bit because I think we're on to something here. Well, so often everyone in spirituality is always wanting to portray the light and the love and the wholeness outside. They're wanting to right. exhibit that 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 persona, that beingness of being all love and light. Yeah. But the part that, that is denied is often still the shadow. And perhaps that projection of love and light, because that too can be a projection, is actually the very thing that needs to be placed on the inside to embrace well, this shadow to bring the wholeness, the love and the connection. Well, that reminds me of something called uh, the golden shadow that Andrew talks about. And and here's where I want to talk to you about the personal shadow. He has a list of five personal shadows, just as he had a list of the collective shadow characteristics. Carolyn, I'm going to have you hold that part until the break because I don't want to cut you off in the middle of all that important information. We are with Carolyn Baker. She is the author of Dark Gold, The Human Shadow and the Global Crises, among many other books. You can find out more about her at carolynbaker.net. She does have an online symposium that is coming up uh, that you can check out on her website as well. And... In addition to that, another book that is coming out called Return to Joy with Andrew Harvey. So all of that we will talk about more in later in the show. Everyone carries a shadow, and the less it is embodied in the individual's conscious life, the blacker and denser it is. At all counts, it forms an unconscious snag, thwarting our most well-meant intentions. This is what Carl Jung says about the shadow. Dark gold, the human shadow in the global crises, endeavors to educate, challenge, and most importantly, inspire the reader to engage with the shadow as a necessary first step in both individual and collective healing. It emphasizes and elaborates on the abundant emotional and spiritual treasures that invariably issue from the shadow exploration and transformation. Dark Gold challenges us to become courageous enough to be accountable and compassionate enough to love ourselves and the earth community fiercely, even when we feel it will make no difference. Again, you can find out more at carolynbaker.net. We'll be right back after these messages. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444. People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today. 1111mag.com 1111 Magazine is a bi-monthly online publication that offers a rich, multi-sensory experience. Engage with experts in topics of consciousness. Become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, expanding the heart, and experiencing greater aliveness. 1111 Magazine. 
Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. Simron is an award-winning author, publisher of 1111 Magazine, powerful speaker of wisdom, and a life mentor. Find out more at IamSimron.com. Now, back to 1111 Talk Radio. Definitely check out the latest issue of 1111 Magazine. It is now a monthly publication so that you can partake of it every single month and allow yourselves to be fed and nourished with the words and the wisdom that lay within it from people all over the world that are standing in their power, exuding their gifts, and giving their light. You can find out more at 1111mag.com. My guest today is Carolyn Baker, and we are discussing her book, Dark Gold, The Human Shadow and the Global Crisis. Poet Robert Bly speaks of the shadow as a large bag we drag behind us for an entire lifetime into which we stuff aspects of ourselves that we choose not to own. It is imperative that we accept the existence of the shadow both personally and collectively and consciously explore and integrate the material we find there. In doing so, we reclaim the unprecedented wholeness that has been eclipsed by our efforts to maintain the shadow. The rewards in doing so are incalculable. Andrew Harvey states that if we stand calmly in the depth of our divine consciousness, we will find strength to really look at the shadow and make it conscious, particularly in the context of global crisis. He speaks about five specific categories which we must be aware, disbelief, denial, dread, disillusion, and the death wish. Can we alter the course of this downward spiral of the personal and collective shadows? Indeed, we can. The personal shadow colluding with the five Ds must be addressed because it prevents us from being fully present to heal the collective shadows miasma. We are with Carolyn Baker, and this is from her book, Dark Gold, The Human Shadow and the Global Crisis. She puts together writings and philosophy that bring together so much thought around the shadow that it is a perfect piece to truly dive into that, and then integrating it through many different processes and exercises that she includes throughout the book. Welcome back, Carolyn. We were talking about, we were about to go into the five Ds that actually coincide with the collective shadow aspects that we tend to dive into. And now you are going into the personal shadow pieces that are called the five Ds by Andrew Harvey. So please continue with what you were going to be telling us. Yeah, these are not the five Ds. The five Ds are the collective shadow. Uh, But these are the aspect of the personal shadow that collude with the collective shadow. First of all, narcissism. Our preoccupation with ourselves, which is now epidemic and prevents us from genuine concern about what's happening around us. Um, And unless that narcissism is tempered, we can't possibly rise to meet the global crisis of the epic proportions that we're facing uh, in that crisis with grace. Um, And secondly, the terror that we have of taking a stand. We're all afraid of acknowledging that, you know, what we really know, well, it isn't really as bad as it looks like, or, you know, maybe, maybe people are exaggerating about this. And 
a lot of times, and I know this one myself very well, um, we, we are afraid to speak the truth about what's actually going on. You know, uh, I don't get invited to a lot of radio talk shows to talk about the shadow because, well, hey, you know, we all want to keep our minds on pretty thoughts. And so we can get sort of blacklisted or, you know, um, you know, separated out from what's going on uh, and, and not invited in and be excluded because we're talking the truth. Uh, a third aspect of the personal shadow is the love of comfort. We're addicted to a lifestyle that we're willing to perpetuate, even when it's obvious that the world is being destroyed by it. And that's a really hard one to look at because... How do we change that? And each one of us, I think, is challenged to look deeply at that. Um, another, another factor he talks about in the personal shadow is woundology, which he says is, is rooted in narcissism. This is a perspective that assumes that we can't act in the world or we can't do deep shadow work until we've healed all of our childhood wounding and traumas. Um, you know, and, and we don't need to, to take this either-or perspective. We can have a perspective of both and. Yeah, I can do this personal work on myself, and I can also be active in the world to make a better world uh, around me. And finally, I think you were alluding to this a moment ago, uh, Simran, when you talked about the golden shadow, really, that's the, that's the one you were referring to, the last part of the personal shadow, which is the adoration of other activists, healers, celebrities. We allow these people to take action for us because we're afraid to do it. And, and we have this illusion that if we adore this person whom we admire, then we're really doing the work that needs to be done. So this is a projection that needs to be reclaimed and notice that what we adore in others are qualities that are crying out within ourselves to be developed. So let's go back to some of these and and talk a little bit about some of the things that are taking place today in our world. We have so many issues, whether it is racism or global global, issues, healing or whether it is, you know, the the trafficking that takes place or even just the political arena as we see it and and the the degree of respect that we have for one another when it comes to just being human beings. The role of narcissism that you're talking about, even when it's something as subtle as selfies to the degree of people just completely not having empathy for another person, is this something that has grown over time to that has magnified the shadow, or is it our denial of that shadow that has increased this level of just only wanting to see ourselves in the highest light and in that that particular persona? Well, I would say both. Um, I I would definitely say both. Um, There's no question that technology and the comforts that we are able to enjoy and the ease of living in many ways uh, that we now have that we didn't have 50, 60, 100 years ago um, has definitely increased our narcissism. Because with that ease of comfort, it becomes more about uh, me and, and my concerns, my life, my world, my needs. And uh, we, we uh, in a way, become more isolated. I mean, uh, 
I have a smartphone, and, and I'm on it probably just as much as anybody else. But when you go to airports and you go to public places and you see people so completely engrossed in their smartphones, and, and you see tables full of teenagers with their smartphones texting each other when they're two feet away from each other, it's, it's becoming so self-absorbed and so centered on me and really like we're all sort of living in a silo of meanness. Um, so I, I would say that technology has facilitated this and then our denial of shadow has also facilitated it. Now, in the book, you go into something called radical empathy. And, and it, it starts off with even just simply saying, I know how you feel and mean it. To, to really understand where someone else is, is is in their emotional or in their physical state. That sometimes, especially for a narcissist, is easier said than done because they are so self-absorbed. And, and we live in a, a society where the children are even being raised to be that way, partially because of technology and partially because the wounded adults that are rearing them are already that way. So when, when you talk about radical empathy, what are some of the steps that might assist in, in growing radical empathy? Well, I quote uh, in the book uh, from an article that uh, I think is a really important one, uh, written by Roman uh, Krisnarik, and I believe the spelling is K-R-Z-N-A-R-I-C. Um, he has a book on empathy, and in there is a, is a chapter on why it matters and how to get it in terms of radical empathy. And he he talks about the six habits of highly empathic people. And one of those is cultivating curiosity about strangers. Um, You know, whether it's a brief chat about the weather or or just just reaching out, just reaching out in little ways to people who are around us. Uh, You know, that person that is sitting, sitting next to us on the plane or that person who is waiting with us in the grocery line. You know, just, just a hello, just a curiosity about them. And, uh, and then the second characteristic is to challenge prejudices and discover commonalities. Um, because one of the things, Simran, that is just rampant right now in this culture, and we're really seeing it in the political arena, and, you know, I personally think it's absolutely rampant in the politics of Donald Trump, is the othering. And I talk about othering a great deal in dark gold. How we separate, we make other people different from us. And so what we need to do as conscious people is challenge prejudices and discover commonalities and notice the ways that we're similar as well as unique. Um, Another characteristic that the author suggests is try another person's life. You know, maybe if you have the opportunity to accompany somebody in their daily routine or observe what happens to them as they, as they do their daily activities. Um, I talk about in the book and the next to the last chapter a relationship that I formed a couple of years ago with a homeless man and his dog, which has given me the opportunity to see firsthand you know, several times a week, what this person is experiencing and who they actually are. Um, Another characteristic of radical empathy is to listen hard and open up. Highly empathic people listen intently to other people. 
And Eckhart Tolle talks about this in listening with presence, listening with spaciousness, not trying to change, not trying to fix, just listening and being present. And another characteristic is to inspire mass action and social change through empathy. You know, maybe you have an opportunity to organize or write or protest or, or use social networking to affect change. Um, and then finally, develop an ambitious imagination. It's easy to empathize with our allies, but as the author says, the acid test is, can we empathize with our adversaries? Uh, can, we, can we at least see the fear that lies under the oil company CEO's denial of global warming? Can we detect the panic on the face of the fundamentalist Christian minister who denounces gay marriage and the lifestyles of LGBT people? And during the conflicts between Muslims and Hindus leading up to Indian independence in 1947, Gandhi declared, I am a Muslim and a Hindu and a Christian and a Jew. That's radical. And you go into so many of these stories beautifully within this book to really help a person understand. As you were talking, I was thinking, this is also a lot about balance. It is about balancing out and understanding of where other people are. And it would also have to do with balancing out our action and our reaction. So when we're looking at situations, whether it is um, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement or whether it, it has to do with transgender or whether it has to do with equal rights for women. The shadow is going to affect us in a certain way unconsciously and then we are going to also react in a certain way, albeit we think is consciously. I believe we live in our shadows most of the time, even consciously. Right. Um, so when we are living in that way and even our reactions, there has to be a balance between are wanting to run out in the world and fix everything, and then yet truly understanding that the one place that the the change and the fixing must begin is actually internally before we even leap to try to change something on the outside. What do you think about that? Well, I couldn't agree with you more that we need to have um, a deep holding, holding of these opposites. And so we must... Uh, as as activists or people who want to make change in the world, we must have an inner spiritual practice and a spiritual path that we walk. And we must do inner work on ourselves. Um, I talk with activists all the time about how important it is for us to do our own grief work. Um, mm. Because sometimes activists get so fired up, and I, I'm speaking symbolically and almost literally here, we get so fired up about what's going on in the world that we tend to burn out. And so we need to temper the fires of activism, I always say, with the waters of our tears and our grief. And and sometimes activists say, well, you know, if, if I do that, I'll get all woozy and I'll lose my passion for activism. And the truth is, no, you will become more effective as an activist. But you can't sit around and just contemplate your navel because a deep spiritual path compels you because of the compassion that it engenders, to go out into the world and do what you can in your community using your unique gifts to make things different. So that's, that's what I say, and that's what I practice as much as possible in my own life uh, about that balance. 
there are a couple of other points here I'd love to go into, too. And, and the second one is the love of comfort. We, we really don't like to be uncomfortable. And when we dive into shadow work or into grief or into even just looking at something beyond the surface, there's a level of discomfort that we must move into in order to get past it. Talk a little bit about allowing the discomfort to become comfortable. Well, you're absolutely right that we must, we must be willing to allow this discomfort. And I want to hasten to add, we need support for that. Um, because, because we can't just walk into the fires of this discomfort. Um, we need allies. We need to talk with other people who are on the same page and doing this work. You know, dark gold, like so many of my books, is so amenable to creating a study group where people can can meet together and not only read the information in the chapters, but do these practices together and share them. Um, Reaching out for life coaching. I'm very available to do life coaching with people from all over the world who are waking up not only to the global crisis, but their role in it. And and don't want to be alone with what they're learning, and they want support. So, you know, yes, we have to be willing to walk into the fires of discomfort, but we also need some hands to hold as we do that. I also want to touch on woundology, because mm-hmm. it goes into, in the book, it talks about, you know, some people think you can't do shadow work or you have to appeal to all your childhood traumas. Right, and right. there is an aspect where we don't necessarily have to go into all the childhood work, but yet we can still look at the shadows. I found there are occasions where people turn their childhood traumas into their obsession, into their narcissism. So yes. that's another quick little trap that people can fall into rather than just looking at what the issue of the shadow is. What do you feel? Well, that's absolutely right, and of course, you know, it's very easy for us to get into, um, well, I am uniquely wounded, and you just don't understand because I've got all these traumas, and, you know, bless your heart, you do have all these traumas, and so do millions of other people just like you, and you're not uniquely special. It it kind of goes into a negative narcissism where we start thinking, I'm uniquely wounded, and that just inhibits me, and I can't do this and I can't do that. Uh, The fact is we're all wounded to varying degrees um, and we all need each other. And, uh, you know, take care of yourself around the wounding, um, but be willing to put yourself out there and do what needs to be done because actually if you are able to put yourself out there and do service in your community, for example, that is going to help your own internal wounds to heal. Uh, So don't separate them. They travel together and they need each other. The marriage of spirit may sound esoteric, but it simply means making the unconscious conscious, bringing the shadow into light, and marrying spirit with matter. It's about becoming conscious of the luminous core of enlightenment that is within each of us. Enlightenment is not a condition or an evolutionary stage, but rather an aspect of aliveness within each human being that we brought to this planet. 
in which we can never lose. This is from a section in the book, Dark Gold, The Human Shadow and the Global Crisis. Carolyn Baker reveals how we need to take responsibility for our disavowed personal shadows. Reclaiming our personal shadow projections is vital for encountering the devastating impacts of the collective shadow. Carolyn invites us to dig deep and access the rich themes of dark gold that could inspire our collective transformative potential. You can find out more at carolynbaker.net. You can also find out about an online symposium she has coming up, in addition to her other books that she's written. We'll be right back with Carolyn Baker. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444. People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today. 1111mag.com 1111 Magazine is a bi-monthly online publication that offers a rich, multi-sensory experience. Engage with experts in topics of consciousness. Become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, expanding the heart, and experiencing greater aliveness. 1111 Magazine, Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. Being Here with Ariel and Shia Kane is an ordinary person's guide to modern day enlightenment. This show is an exciting exploration which opens the door to living in the moment. Don't miss Being Here. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern with Ariel and Shia Kane right here on the 7th Wave Network. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. Simron is an award-winning author, publisher of 1111 Magazine, powerful speaker of wisdom, and a life mentor. Find out more at IamSimron.com. Now, back to 1111 Talk Radio. I invite you to look at my own books, Conversations with the Universe, to discover the signs, symbols, and synchronicity that are the world speaking to you. In addition to your journey to enlightenment, allow yourself to understand where you conformed and how you can step out of that conformity in living a life of love, courage, and commitment to be the divine child in the curiosity and imagination that you were intended to be. And finally, your journey to love, the marriage of the light and the shadow. Your shadow is your ultimate soulmate. It is the one here that brought you to evolve, to grow, to discover the light that you are. So definitely check out my own books in addition to Carolyn Baker's book, Dark Gold, The Human Shadow and the Global Crises. Within the book, she has a beautiful story. An old Cherokee was teaching his grandson about life. A fight is going on inside me, he said to the boy. It is a terrible fight, and it is between two wolves. One is evil. He is anger. Envy, sorrow, regret, greed, arrogance, self-pity, guilt, resentment, inferiority, lies, 
false pride, superiority, and ego. The other is good, the old man continued. He is joy, peace, love, hope, serenity, humility, kindness, benevolence, empathy, generosity, truth, compassion, and faith. The same fight is going on inside of you, and inside of every other person, too. The grandson thought about it for a minute and asked his grandfather, which wolf will win? You might have heard the story ends like this. The old Cherokee simply replied, the one you feed my most, the most, my son. In the Cherokee world, however, the story ends this way. The old Cherokee simply replied, if you feed them right, they both win. And the story goes on. You see, if I only choose to feed the good wolf, the bad one will be hiding around every corner, waiting for me to become distracted or weak and jump to get the attention he craves. He will always be angry and always fighting the good wolf. But if I acknowledge him, he is happy and the good wolf is happy. And we all win. For the bad wolf has many qualities, tenacity, courage, fearlessness, and strong-willedness that I have need of at times and that the good wolf lacks. But the good wolf has compassion, caring, strength, and the ability to recognize what is in the best interest of all. You see, son, the good wolf needs the bad wolf at his side. To feed only one would starve the other, and they would become uncontrollable. To feed and care for both means they will serve you well and do nothing that is not a part of something greater, something good, something of life. Feed them both, and there will be no more internal struggle for your attention. And when there is no battle inside, you can listen to the voices of deeper knowing that will guide you in choosing what is right in every circumstance. Peace, my son, is the Cherokee mission in life. A man or a woman who has peace inside has everything. A man or a woman who is pulled apart by the war inside him or her has nothing. Carolyn, that is a beautiful story, and it really does depict the story of what goes on within each one of us. The, the battle that we have within ourselves that then is reflected outside of us as yes. the world. There is a place that we have to get to, and it is a place from codependence to independence to interdependence. Most of the world lives in a very codependent place, and it is struggling for the independence. And I would think that that independence is the embrace of the two sides of us, the dark and the light. Once we do that, what does it mean to move to interdependence or what you term as interbeing within the book? Well, I think well, that um, once we have, have begun to integrate, and, and nobody ever integrates 100%, but once we are on this path of integrating the dark and the light, you know, we're going to experience some heartbreak. We're going to go into this territory of discomfort that we talked about in the last segment. And that heartbreak and that discomfort are really necessary for expanding our hearts, for expanding our empathy and our compassion in the world. And then I just think we go forth and we experience more peace in our lives, more uh, centeredness, more groundedness. Um, more ability to hold these opposites. And there are so many opposites within ourselves and in the world um, that we need to hold in order to be whole persons. But, you know, I want to just mention some of the benefits of doing shadow work in, you, you know, that are articulated toward the end of this book, Dark Gold, by Robert Johnson. And he wrote a little, wonderful little book on owning your own shadow. And he says, any repair of our fractured world must start with individuals who have the insight and courage to own their shadow. 
The tendency to see one's shadow out there in one's neighbor or in another race or culture is the most dangerous aspect of the modern psyche. Nevertheless, a willingness to engage and work with the shadow is sacred work. He says, to own one's own shadow is to reach a holy place, an inner center not attainable in any other way. So this is holy work, you know. It it might be painful at times, discomforting at times, uh, embarrassing at times, and lots of other feelings, but the benefits are in the gold. Most definitely, and oftentimes when we escape into things, whether it is New Age spirituality or our own religiosity, what we're really doing is trying to get to a pain-free life, but then we disembody and we lose our true communion with other beings. Yes. By allowing this sacred walk with the shadow, what we are really saying is we are each as special as the other, and it is in our wounding and our pain and our shadows that we will actually connect the bond so that we can then become the, the oneness of light. Well, you know, one of my heroes, uh, Richard Rohr, who's a radical Franciscan priest in Albuquerque, uh, he makes the statement, all spirituality deals with what we're going to do with our pain. Mm. So, so that's, really, that's really what it comes down to, our personal pain and the pain in the world. I know that Andrew Harvey wrote the foreword of Dark Gold and that you have another book upcoming that you are writing with him. And he very much talks about sacred activism and really allowing what is called radical heartbreak and to allow that radical heartbreak to guide us. What piece does radical heartbreak uh, connect to the shadow with? Well, I don't think we can do shadow work without experiencing heartbreak because when we go into the shadow and we start, we start finding out what's actually there, we're going to have some regrets, we're going to have some sorrow, some grief, some radical heartbreak, but you know what? We're also going to find some other contents there, which has to do with something Jung called the bright shadow. Because just as we've sent away negative characteristics about ourselves, we disown them, there are also positive characteristics about ourselves that perhaps people in our childhood forced us to send away. For example, um, a man who, you know, wants to be tough and strong and doesn't want to be like a girl and yada, yada, um, that man, you know, who wears all that on his sleeve, um, has a very repressed feminine within him. And that's part of his bright shadow. And if he can do the deep shadow work, at some point he's probably going to find that wonderful feminine peace within himself uh, that can transform him. And I notice this with a lot of my male friends who are in men's group where they're doing deep healing work on the positive masculine. Um, or a woman, you know, who was forced as a child to send away her intelligence and her skills and her power, you know, and, and, and she grew up to be self-effacing or a doormat or lacking in confidence. And as she goes deep into her shadow material, she's probably going to find that power that she had to send away, which is her bright shadow. So these are just a couple of examples 
of the glorious gold that we can find if we do shadow work. In the last few minutes that we have, Carolyn, I would love for you to share uh, two things. Number one, you have a book coming out with Andrew Harvey that is entitled Return to Joy around this Thanksgiving, and you also have an online symposium coming up, and I'd love for people to know about both things. So would you share? Sure. Um, Andrew and I have just finished a new book, a, a short but very powerful book called Return to Joy, and we're talking about joy as the ultimate nature of reality that we need to hold to in this global crisis, in this personal crisis time. Um, and we talk about the enemies of joy and how we can transform them. We talk about the flames of joy, what we can do in our lives to deepen our joy. And part of it is to do the shadow work. So we're very excited about this book. You know, we, we both sometimes get called darkness junkies, Andrew and I. Uh, but we wanted to write this beautiful book, um, inspiring people to go deeply into the power of joy. And then I'm going to be doing with my team an online symposium that starts uh, October 13th and continues through November 10th, two nights a week online, entitled Active Love Beyond the 11th Hour. Why? Because we're at the end of business as usual, life as usual, climate as usual, and relationships as usual. And in this symposium, we have some wonderful speakers who are going to go with us to dive deeply into an urgent self-assessment and strengthen our connection to ourselves, to each other, and to the earth. Uh, These folks include Derek Jensen, who's written prolifically on... um, Uh, environmental issues over the years, the spirituality of eco-psychology, Dr. Sean Kelly from California Institute of Integral Studies, Um, Michael Brownlee, who's a neighbor of mine here in Boulder, Colorado, was written about food security in the coming global crisis, Jiwa Woodbury, who's written about uh, something called planetary hospice and coming to life through planetary hospice, uh, Lisa Van Susteren, who's a psychiatrist in Washington, D.C., who's written on the mental health effects of global warming, and many more. And these speakers are not just going to give us information. This is not necessarily a teaching time. This is a time when these folks and all of the participants in the symposium are going to be able to share their hearts and their heartbreak and support each other and inspire each other in how we go forward with active love in this global crisis. People can find out all about this and register at my website, carolynbaker.net. Thank you so much, Carolyn. I am a fellow darkness junkie with you, which is why we can stay in our own light. <laughs> much of our shadows can be revealed and healed as we consciously participate in grief work. Often activists do not grasp the connection between the fires of activism and the waters of grief, of how one needs the other. The one alchemical element present in resolving the disparity and integrating the two is the component of love. We struggle for justice from a vast well of love and our grief issues from the same well. Rather than impairing our activism, grief revitalizes and empowers it, because in fact, to grieve is to love. Love is not an emotion or a sentiment, but rather a state of being we can access at any time, from the pinnacle of passionate activism, as well as in the yawning abyss of wrenching grief. Love in action is an expression of our infinite capacity, flowing through the conduit of consciousness, as the late spiritual teacher Osho states. 
I love because my love is not dependent on the object of love. My love is dependent on my state of being. So whether the other person changes, becomes different, friend turns into foe, does not matter because my love was never dependent on the other person. My love is my state of being. I simply love. This is from the book Dark Gold, The Human Shadow and the Global Crisis by Carolyn Baker. Find out more about her and all of the things coming up at carolynbaker.net. Until next time, I am Simran, in love, of love, with love and as love. Be well. Thank you for opening your mind to a new reality, your heart to greater compassion, and your experience of aliveness with 1111 Talk Radio. Join host Simron next Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern Time to step through the gateway of conscious living here on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Remember, you are not on the journey. You are the journey.